This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast World Cup Daily. Day 22 of World Cup 2018 is done. Brian Strauss and I will be talking about... Friday's quarterfinals is part of our podcast, coming to you daily from Russia through July 16th. Just a small request, it would be a huge help if you subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. It helps people find us. In this episode, I'm also joined by Kate Abdo of Fox Sports. Onward! Let's bring in Brian Strauss from his new hotel room in St. Petersburg. How are you, Brian? Had a day, man. <laughs> um, so I, uh, I was going to... Um, Decamp? Is that the word I'm thinking of? Uh, yeah. What does that decamp mean? Anyway, whatever it means, I did that. Um, oh, no, it means leave a place suddenly or secretly. I, this is obviously not a secret because I'm discussing it on a Sports Illustrated podcast. Um, to St. Petersburg uh, for some time uh, leading into the second semifinal. I will not be covering a quarterfinal in person. So I took the Sapsan high-speed train uh, today. Um, which was quite cool. Uh, I enjoy train rides, like the, the countryside. And then I got to my hotel, and it took me more than two hours to check in. So that was a a, a brutal, soul-sucking experience that is now over. <laughs> I'm glad you're settled. Um, I'm not going to get to St. Petersburg on this trip. I'm a little bummed out because that's the city in Russia I'm most interested in. I hope you have a chance to go to the Hermit- Hermitage. How, how did they pronounce that? I don't know. If I have the chance to, to get off this block, I will take some photos for you and, and describe it in um, excruciating detail. <laughs> so let's talk about tomorrow's quarterfinals, because this is, as you said, the varsity side of the bracket. Uruguay, France, Brazil, Belgium. Uh, I'm pretty excited for these games. And yeah. uh, I'm a little concerned about Edinson Cavani because I think he's pretty important to Uruguay winning, but he's also pretty important to having an entertaining game. Um, what's your sense of this game, Uruguay-France? Is this true? I, I feel like I saw someone tweeting about it or blogging about it, or I saw it mentioned somewhere, but I haven't independently verified it. Is it true that Uruguay has one yellow card in this tournament? I don't know. I, I think it may be. And if so, that's, that's remarkable yeah. because... This is Uruguay. This is this is this is the country of of La Guerra, right? This is the, right. this is the country of the biting. You know, this is they do they, they scrap and claw and fight, and we've got you know we've got three and a half million people or so, and 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 we're gonna we're gonna make up for our our small size and our powerful neighbors by with a will to win that'll just you know drain yours, 
And uh, now they're doing it, you know, I don't know, they're doing it with precision rather than sort of petulance. Uh, one yellow. That's, I mean, look, I, Cavani has been um, a revelation this tournament, not only in terms of his finishing, but in his, in his ability to connect. Um, you know, but this, this game was always going to come down to, to the, 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 the back four, um, Godin and company and their ability to slow down France, who suddenly now is playing with Verve, um, the one that the verb we've been waiting for in this tournament. So, you know, it was always going to come down uh, to whether or not Uruguay can slow them down and, and, um, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I, I think about how Mbappe played against Argentina and, my sense is that Uruguay will defend him better, will defend team-wide better than Argentina did. Argentina was a tire fire. But I'm still curious to see how it, how it plays out, uh, if we might actually see Uruguay get a yellow card or more, trying to defend Mbappe, trying to defend a France team that when it really does get going in the attack is really fearsome when it wants to be. And I'll, and I'll plead a bit of ignorance. I mean, I'm, you know, Godin and Jimenez and Caceres and those guys I'm familiar with. I'm not as familiar with Uruguay's midfield. And so much of France's attack comes from those deeper runs. So, um, you know, may, maybe, you know, maybe Tavares doesn't want to play a 4-4-2 anyway against France. Maybe he wants an extra body in midfield, in which case the loss of Cavani, the potential loss of Cavani is not as crippling. Um, but, uh you know, the, the guys on, on Uruguay, the, the, those defenders are world-class and they are obviously used to playing against the best in the world. Um, so they're not going to be cowed or intimidated. Um, you know, they're not going to see anything they haven't seen before. Right. I mean, Godin is at Atletico Madrid, so he's facing, you know, the best in La Liga on, you know, a weekly basis, a semi-weekly basis. Um, so, you know, Jimenez, obviously, Atletico Madrid as well. Um, you know, Caceres at, at, at Lazio. So uh, who's the other, who's the other, who's the left back? <laughs> I'm having a moment. Um, um, anyway, whoever that happens to be. And, and so, you know, can, can France play with the same, um, with the same style, with the same commitment? Um, will they get frustrated? Uh, will they be able to, to, to vary their football if they have to, if they're kind of, you know, running up against a, a, a brick wall. Um, and then, you know, can Suarez steal one? So it'll be a, it'll be a classic game of sort of rope-a-dope, and, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it, too. Um, it gets to wear blue. Has this been decided? I'm not sure. Mm. Um, no, so Laxalt actually played left-back the other day, even though he's played more advanced. Um, I thought he was a midfield. He has been in this tournament, but he played left back huh. the other day. I like oh, him. Bad, bad dreads, uh, but as <laughs> I, I say this, Kobe Jones is next to me. Good dreads, uh, but Laxalt, worst dreads of the tournament. Um, he's now showing me something that says, Marco reporting Juan Carlos Osorio has a pre-contract to take over U.S. national team. That's interesting. What is a pre-contract? Yeah, all right. So... Well, there there's been something going around on the in, on on Twitter since I finally checked in and sat down and opened Twitter. Like everybody's talking about, Kicker is reporting that uh, Tottenham um, has has wheeled a barrow full of euro dollars up to uh, BVB's door and is trying to get uh, Pulisic to go to London. And so I was like, oh wow, that's you know it was like fifty million plus. I'm like wow, that's pretty big. So I started looking for the report. Like it doesn't exist. Eh. Like the report itself doesn't exist. Like 
lots of people are writing stories about the kicker report that I cannot find. <laughs> nice. So journalism, silly season, man. Um, so I really am excited about Uruguay, France. I would like to see France play at their max. And I know that every once in a while they just don't show up. Uh, hoping that's not this game. Uh, I actually would really love to see a France Brazil semifinal that a lot of people would look at as the final. Yeah, it would be for me. Sure. Um, but there's another game also tomorrow, Brazil, Belgium. And, uh, I think this could be tremendous fun and lots of goals. I hope. Cer- certainly the most, uh, certainly the, the, of the four quarterfinals, certainly the most, uh, the most balanced in sort of the attacking potential of both teams. Right. Yeah. I mean, this, this, this is a game where this is the one game where both teams can go with each other. Um, with sort of equal fervor, right? We imagine we imagine France sort of sort of on the front foot against Uruguay. We certainly imagine Croatia on the front foot against Russia, um, Sweden, England. We imagine penalties and uh, <laughs> and uh, and but Bel- but Belgium and, and Brazil can 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 take chunks out of each other, and that that'll that could be a, a real heavyweight. Uh, you know, a lot of haymakers thrown in that game. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Do you remember the Brazil-Netherlands quarterfinal in Dallas in 94? I, I think the vibe might feel similar for this one. And that was just a tremendous game, maybe the best game of the 94 World Cup. Um, was that the Bronco free kick game? Uh, he did have a free kick okay. uh, goal in that game. Um, and, then signed, and then signed with the Red Bulls and got three red right. cards in 10 games. Yeah. <laughs> <Right. laughs> <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I, I think what's interesting also to me in this Brazil-Belgian game is the lineup questions that I think both coaches have uh, heading in. So for Brazil, I actually don't see any reason why Gabriel Jesus continues to start. I don't think he's bringing much. He certainly hasn't scored. And Firmino comes in every game and is like the best teammate in the world, sets up his teammates, sometimes scores himself. Is there something about Jesus? Does he does he occupy and tire out defenders in such a way? Like, is he like you know, like when somebody offers you, he like tries to get you to open the jar, and you like you're sitting there flailing and being, you know, you, you can't do it, and then like you hand it to you know your grandma, and she she just slides it open, and because you loosened it up, right? You did you did all the hard work. Is 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 there that component? Probably not. I'm probably just making all that up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to because he was so he was so highly touted. I mean, and he was the guy he was the guy who was going to, you know, give give Neymar and William room to 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 create right. Um, and uh, you know, in a way, maybe similar to what Giroud is supposed to be doing for 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 France. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it just hasn't happened. I mean, I like Jesus at Man City, but I do think. Uh, people are sort of contorting themselves into pretzels at Brazil press conferences to say all these things that Jesus does to help the team besides scoring goals, which he's not doing. And I kind of don't buy it. Um, I also love Liverpool uh, and what Firmino is to that team. And he seems to bring a lot of that same stuff to Brazil. So yeah, Jesus is not touching the ball enough, you know, and, and that's clear. I mean, that was clear watching the Mexico game. He just wasn't seeing the ball and, uh, um, you know, Firmino seems to find the game a bit better. So. Yeah, and then with Belgium, I think if Japan shredded you, uh, you probably should have some concerns about the guys who let Japan do that. And so, 
I think this is a game where Raja Nangolan would, would have been great for Belgium to really make things difficult in the midfield for Brazil. He's not here, obviously. Doesn't Roberto Martinez also have a pre-contract with U.S. soccer? <laughs> pre-contract. <laughs> what is a pre-contract? Um, I know. I, I know it's something. It's something that like kids who are ineligible sign. You know, like it's <laughs> it's like what fifteen-year-olds sign with European clubs. It's like when Alabama, you know, goes and recruits a three hundred-pound eighth grader. You know, to to be a to be a tackle in the class of you know twenty thirty-eight. Um, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know. But Ernie Stewart is, if that's the case, then, then Ernie Stewart is either working a hell of a lot faster than we, than we all thought he would, or, uh, or Ernie Stewart is not really doing anything at all in someone else's, <laughs> someone else's place to call. You know, it's like, it's like when a radio DJ manages to get, get into, you know, get Trump on the phone on Air Force One. It's like somebody is, somebody pretending to be U.S. soccer is called Osoria. Who knows? Um, but I'm really curious on Belgium's lineup. Are they going to go to four in the back? Are they going to totally mix things up? I just feel like the lineup they've had for most of this tournament is a three, four, three where they're asking Carrasco to be a wing back and, or winger depending on the situation and defend. And that guy just doesn't defend. And that's not his fault. That's who he's always been. So I, I think we could see several changes, especially if you're going to have to bring in a guy like Fellaini to be a little bit more defensive in the midfield, or if you bring in Dembele, then he's not exactly the strongest defender either. You know, great on the ball. So I think there's a lot of cool tactical questions on both sides in this game that in addition to just Brazil, Belgium, and two great attacking outfits, I, I really am fired up for this. Yeah, and I, 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 I wish... Chicharito had been, I don't know, more robust in the game against against uh, uh, Brazil. Um, you know, to see how they, you know, how they handled a, a, a real like, you know, a real poaching center forward, right. um, which they haven't really had to go up against in this tournament. So you know, we were all sort of in awe of the way Lukaku, um, you know, did all of the of the, you know, the smart dirty work on that on that winning goal against Japan. Um, you know, he's got, he's got brawn and he's got guile and, and, um, that's not something, uh, that Brazil has faced so far. So, um, also curious to see what kind of hay he, he's able to make. So I am going to go now and record my Fox show. Uh, but I'm glad you're in one piece in your hotel room and, um, in St. Petersburg, Brian, talk to you tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. If anyone listening in St. Petersburg, come rescue me. <laughs> see ya. <laughs> Big thanks to Brian Strauss. Next up is my interview with Kate Abdo. Let's bring in our interview guest for today. It's Kate Abdo. Kate, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Always Uh, a pleasure. uh, It has been so much fun working with you and everyone else here uh, with Fox Sports during the World Cup. We're into the home stretch. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on this World Cup. I I think probably the same as everybody. I think it's been honestly a fantastic World Cup I mean we've had so many incredible games even if the 90 minute game wasn't fantastic then the drama of the ending with penalty shootouts or buzzer beaters right at the kind of the the final minute um it's just always kept me on my toes it hasn't worked out as you expected 
I don't know whether my expectations are somehow perhaps outdated and that I come in expecting Germany, expecting Argentina, sure. expecting these traditional powerhouses always to perform. And maybe some of the other nations have caught up. Um, but I think a lot of the big names and a lot of the those those countries that you did expect it to be real contenders, um, you know, I picked Germany to win the tournament mm -hmm. and they've fallen so massively short that it can only create excitement. Uh, you know, is it a shame not to have Ronaldo or Messi in the tournament still? Yeah, uh, but I think it's fantastic to see somebody like Mbappe having a wonderful tournament or Coutinho really shining. Uh, so it, it's been exciting. Yeah, I've kind of gotten to the point where I don't think the level of play in needs to be in the World Cup needs to be on the level of Champions League mm -hmm. necessarily to still really enjoy it, you know? Yeah. And the World Cup has these elements of emotion and drama that, you know, and, and players crying and stuff that mm -hmm. we just don't see in Champions League. And I do find that really appealing. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, even just walking, kind of walking around the hotel when uh, certain teams have played, I think that the sense of tribalism is completely unique as as fanatical as people are about their club teams and uh, as much as I was on set the other day and uh, I can't remember one of the pundits I think Alexi was asking one of the analysts you know would you rather see your country win the world cup or your team win the champions league mm -hmm. to which I said my team win the champions league and they res they responded the same and it was I think a, a European perspective somehow mm -hmm. that we value the champions league at that level and, and Alexi could not possibly understand it. He thought that that huh. was a, a horrific answer. Um, <laughs> but there is something about that. Yeah, it's not the same standard, but it doesn't matter. Right. Your emotions still get caught up. You know, people will watch the World Cup that will never watch the Champions League because uh, you can, you don't have to be a, a football or a soccer fan, but you can be an England fan. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it's been really enjoyable just to see, you know, like crowds of Argentinians with their shirts off kind of wave. I mean, they're not here anymore, but they were. <laughs> and, you know, the chants that kind of carry down the streets. It's it's definitely completely unique and I think really exciting to see. Yeah. I mean, the other question I have for you, I guess, then is you are a total pro in my experience working with you and your your national team, England, is doing quite well mm -hmm. here as as of this recording. And this will come out tonight. They're in the quarterfinals. They have a real path to the final, I think, yeah. potentially. How do you do that? How, how do you find the balance to be a total pro, but also this is your team doing really well? Um, I think it depends which show you're on. You know, yeah. I, I think definitely if you're doing the round the game coverage, I, I feel much more that there is an expectation to be very neutral in that. Um, Whereas I think, you know, the show that you and I have been doing together in the evening, I'm allowed to be a fan on that right. show because we're, we're humans. Right. And I'm massively excited when England get through. And when we get through on penalties, I'm just, it's off the charts. Um, so I, I, I think the expectation is different depending on what you're talking about. I, you know, I can still be an England fan and appreciate what another country has done well. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a football fan, first and foremost. There was a moment... Uh, behind the scenes, we were watching the the penalty shootout mm -hmm. uh, the other night, and Kobe Jones and I were sitting behind you. And I didn't realize until late in the game that Kobe was actually taping, taking, me. yeah, shooting video <laughs> with his phone of you during the penalties, and it was pretty cool. Yeah, it, it's it's. I think when that last minute goal came as an England fan, your heart just dropped because you felt like, oh, it's happening all over again. We've done this so many times. You feel like you're on a good trajectory and somehow we just crash and fall massively short. Um, 
I think for us to actually, I was, that's one of the things I probably was most impressed about because it's a relatively young team, right? Um, and for, for us to lose the game in, in that kind of last minute goal that sent us into extra time, not lose the game, but you know what I mean? Yeah. To, to lose that win, uh, have to get through extra time, get to penalties, knowing the baggage that all those, maybe not those England players specifically, but the English mentality and English mm. football carries in terms of penalties and, and being terrible at them with a butt of everybody's joke. It's not lost on us. <laughs> um, and so, I, you know, I think to come through that, uh, Eric Dyer, wasn't it, who stepped up and took that final yeah. penalty, that that mental strength, that courage, I think was was really incredible. And, and everybody's talking about a new England, but p- perhaps, you know, that that is really the start of that. Yeah, yeah. Um- in terms of, I found it very interesting during this tournament to work with more European um, colleagues yeah. at Fox and, and kind of get a sense of how they view, you know, working, but also, you know, watching the games here. Now that you've been based in LA and doing American television for a few years, mm-hmm. what, what are the differences between sort of the European way and the American way? How we view football, how we view the games, or, or and what? how it's broadcast. Um, oh gosh, that's a difficult question. I think um, you're you're speaking to two very different audiences. Well, you're not necessarily, but I think the American audience is is more split. Right? You have a a core of fans who are very much those hardcore fans mm-hmm. who are really well versed in the game. And then you'll have, especially with a, a tournament like um, like the World Cup, which is then broadcast on Big Fox, you would hope to be speaking to a much wider spectrum of, of maybe sports fans, but fans who, who don't know football like that, who mm. who haven't followed Premier League or any of those, those other leagues or Champions League. Um, and so I think as an American broadcaster, certainly Fox's approach is to try and um, tell those stories that they think are captivating to that non-soccer audience. Um, and so lots of focus on those big stars like Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar. Uh, I think the luxury you have as an, a European broadcaster is that you're speaking to an audience that y- you generally expect to have across the board more inside knowledge of the sport. And so you you can perhaps go a little deeper in your analysis. Um, but... Uh, you know, I'm a I'm a football fan and that's living in America, and I meet so many people that are well versed in the game and then, and that do really have a passion for it and get up at crazy times of the day, especially on the West Coast, to mm. to watch all those soccer games. So I would hope that we can do enough to to really speak to them and to not to educate them, but to have contra- uh, conversations that interest them. Yeah, that's what that would be my hope. Yeah, in terms of surprises, what has surprised you about this World Cup? Oh gosh, there's so many, isn't there? Um, Argentina being yeah. terrible. Um, I thought, you know, obviously signs weren't weren't that positive coming in. Lionel Messi basically saved their qualification campaign, made sure that they got through. Um, but the the talent in the squad plus Lionel Messi, and for them to be as dysfunctional as they were, the whole situation with the coach. Yeah. I mean, that seems farcical for that to be happening at, at this level of world football. The fact that Iguain, Dybala, um, Aguero often are sitting on the bench, can't make the starting 11, and yet you're still having these terrible performances. It's a, it's a very confusing conundrum. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Germany, I came in expecting Germany to be fantastic. It, actually, just before we started, we had a breakfast with a lot of um, 
a lot of media that Fox had organized. And I used to work at Sky Germany. And so I know uh, a couple of the Sky Germany reporters who were here and I was talking to them and saying, you know, you're looking forward to the tournament. And they said, ah, Germany are going to be terrible. Hmm. And I was like, really? Are you sure? Surely not. <laughs> Defending champions. Germany's a tournament team, right? They always turn up. They've got that winning mentality. And they said, nah, there's too much infighting. It's a disaster. Hmm. And I, I guess that really played out. But to see Yogi Love, I mean, I, I don't know how many changes it was he made through those first group stages, but an enormous amount of changes. It was a team that didn't really know what it was doing or how it was trying to do it, um, which is surprising of Germany. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an interesting one. I, I almost wonder, now we've seen four of the last five defending champions go out in the group stage, and it, I guess, is still a small sample size, but it does make me wonder if there might be something to it in the sense of um, coaches maybe sticking with certain players too long mm -hmm. because they won a World Cup. Yeah. I've also seen this on the women's side. No team that has won a women's World Cup has won the Olympic title the following year. Interesting. And Megan Rapino once said, like, told me, like, it was, it's just the amount of, you can't help it as a human, you might get a little lax if you've mm -hmm. won something. Yeah. And I almost wonder if that might have happened. The drive, Germany that hunger well. isn't necessarily there. Yeah, I mean, I was I was here in Russia for the Confederations Cup in 2017. And watching that and watching Germany's, uh, effectively their B-string, yeah. uh, play fantastically and play other teams off the park. I expected Germany to do really well. Maybe we did. Maybe that's what Yogi Love should have done for this tournament, a complete refresh of young, hungry players who had something to prove, who hadn't already done everything already. Maybe that's what he should have gone with. And maybe he was too too tempted to rely on, on past performers. If people want to listen to another interview I did with Kate, by the way, where we got into, I think you were on the podcast back soon after you joined Fox. Yes, yeah. um, and we got into... Um, your use of be, or being able to work in different languages. Mm -hmm. um, how many languages have you worked in? Uh, I've worked in them all, uh, French, Spanish, German. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of incredible. Um, how did that happen? Uh, I, I just was, I don't know. I seem to have a gypsy gene somewhere within me, uh, much to my parents' regret. <laughs> And so I think I've always just been tempted to travel, to live somewhere else, to, to experience things. I always, you know, you learn languages at school, but it, it didn't fulfill me somehow. And there was always that itch to kind of move on somewhere and try something new and actually experience the the language firsthand. You know, one of the things I always did whenever I moved somewhere was find a family who would rent a room and I would go and live with that family and I would pay them extra to have food with them and I would mm. kind of have the whole cultural experience. Um which sounds a bit nerdy now that I say it, it's but it was cool, just, it was important to me, you know, and, and I feel like I really did kind of immerse in those cultures. Um, and, you know, for football, it's just so, it's such a big plus in terms of being able to read the local press, being able to read, you know, if you're, you want to follow on the, the German national team, but you want an inside take of how Germany is reacting to be mm -hmm. able to go to Bild or to Sportbild or to whoever you're going to is, is such a, such an advantage. And you've done some work in Spanish in the U.S., right? Uh, have I? Yes, oh, I have for Fox Deportes. Yeah, okay. I did. I did the boxing for them. I'm a huge boxing fan. I'm addicted to it personally. And um, yeah, the the guy who runs the the Fox Deportes there knew that I was so massively into it. We'd had a lot of conversations just on a personal level over mm -hmm. a coffee about boxing. Uh, and so there were a couple of big fights that were coming up. Um, 
and and he got me involved on those, which was a, a real privilege. And actually, I did the Champions League final for them, uh, the one that was in Cardiff, um, which was which was great because it was you know back in my in my well not in my home country but the UK yeah so it was good to be home it was good to be there for for a final like that just to wrap up what do you see happening in the rest of this tournament god who knows um (laughs) I you know obviously I'm always focused on the England story and I think that Sweden uh is you know I I listen to my dad talk who's the eternal pessimist um when it comes to football (laughs) always assumes that his team has it hardest and will do terribly and a lot of people would look at the draw and think hey we're in a decent quarterfinal here against Sweden my dad thinks it's the worst (laughs) quarterfinal we could ever possibly have drawn I I think that you do know what you you know what you expect with Sweden Mm. you know um I think they've been good this tournament I've been impressed with them I think they've you know forced other teams to to play their kind of football they've imposed themselves on other teams um They'll sit back. They'll, you know, they'll look to bully you. They'll look to be physical. They'll look to be very imposing in that sense. I think England will perhaps need to maybe be a bit more creative than we have been so far. Um, you know, I'm a big Harry Kane fan. I think he's been a fa- fantastic captain and leader. I think we've seen that throughout the tournament. You know, just the way he kept his head taking the penalty when there was all that kerfuffle and all that weight whilst the Colombian fa- uh, Colombian players kind of surrounded the referee right. in that uh, in that round of 16 game to keep his head, to slot that penalty home, then to take another penalty in the shootout. You know, I thought he's he's been a real, he's led by example and that's been fantastic to have somebody like that on the pitch. I, I'm concerned that Sweden could be a difficult one for us but hey you know if you look at the the teams that are left if you can't get past Sweden you're not going to get much further the one thing I think is nice is that I think we can play without pressure in some Mm. ways in that I feel that everybody minimum expectation was quarterfinals if you go home and you go out in the quarterfinals well we met expectations anything else is a bonus so I think that's great for the team Uh, I'm fascinated uh, to see the Brazil Belgium uh, quarterfinal that should be a really really good game um, and you always hope that the games that you expect to be fantastic games do turn out to be that way because yeah. sometimes it can be the opposite, right? But I think I'm really looking forward to that game and I'm really looking forward to the England one because I think if we go through to the semifinals, like you say, we're, you know, we have a good route here. Yeah. Uh, and it's been a long time since England have really excelled at an international tournament. So I'd love to see that. Very cool. Kate Abdo, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football World Cup Daily Podcast. I'd like to thank Brian Strauss and Kate Abdo, as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. It really does help the cause if you do, and we'll see you tomorrow. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.